You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Drop the Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert, and everybody else is working right now, so they couldn't join us. And today I am joined by two gentlemen from Elevate Stand Company. Uh, we've got Mr. Josh Stubbs and Jared Stubbs with us today. How you how you guys doing? Doing good. We're awesome. It's a little warm here in Kansas, but we're doing good. What's what's your temp out there? It's like probably right around a hundred. I think it's supposed to be 102 today. Does it get very humid out there? Oh yeah. Does it? Okay. We've got, uh, we've got some pretty rough weather for our area. We don't, we don't see a hundred degrees a lot. We see it, but we don't see it a lot. I notice out West, you guys see it a lot more. Um, but it's 95 today and the humidity, like I got up this morning to go scouting and I could see the humidity and it, it was just, it was almost, I mean, it basically was fog, but there wasn't, I don't live near a river or a lake or anything. Right. You know? um, it hadn't rained. It was just white air or something. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a hot one today, boys. Um, so let's start off, uh, if you guys want, tell me a little bit about your family and uh, your careers, what you do for a living and all that. Uh, Family-wise, I have three kids. Um, the youngest is going to be a sophomore and the other are both out of, both out of high school. Um, so getting to that age where I can do a little bit more and not have to worry about the kids, the 15 year old, he just comes along with me on a lot of hunts. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, and then career wise, uh, started off in aerospace, worked there for probably about, uh, 18 years, worked in production, then uh, moved into quality, um, and then now in uh, steel fabrication business and still in quality, quality manager here. So, Okay. Awesome. And that's that's the main company. And then obviously uh, do a, a decent amount with Elevate. So that... Uh, a little bit. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. How, about, how about yourself, Josh? Yeah. Uh, I started in aerospace as well. It was Alcoa Aerospace Center here in Hutchinson, Kansas. And then I went to work. I worked for Alcoa roughly 11 years, um, worked my way into management in that company, and then um, worked for ThyssenKrupp Aerospace for four years, and then had an opportunity to work um, for a metal fabrication company. And it's one that I, I currently run. Um, and I've been here 12 years. Um, and then obviously, you know, we started, started to elevate, uh, last year, late last year and I've been having a ton of fun with that. It's a lot of work, but a lot of fun too. Um, I've got three kids. They're all grown and out and married. They're 23, 23 and 21, 21. And wow. Married and my wife, Brittany, she, uh, she does all of our design work for Elevate, all of the logos that you see, the shirts, the hats, all that stuff. She designs all that. So okay. very blessed 
very blessed to have her. Heck yeah. So how long have you guys been hunting? What species do you like to hunt, prefer to hunt, weapons used, all that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one first. Uh, we were born and raised on a farm, um, South Central Kansas, and really my first passion was, was duck hunting. That's what my grandfather did. That's what my dad did and my uncle. And we would hunt pheasant and quail, but really didn't hunt deer till I um, turned 21, I think was the first year I deer hunted, but just grew up dove hunt or duck hunting and just loved that. Then uh, when I was 14, I was able to hunt turkeys. And prior to that, I would call them in for my grandfather. I think I started getting into it like I was probably 11. Turkeys started really, you know, growing up or becoming prolific in our area. And I, Kansas, you couldn't, back then you had to be 14 to shoot a big game animal that considered turkeys, you know, that big game animal. So um, for three years, I just called and then shot my first turkey uh, when I was 14. I had bought uh, my first Browning shotgun. It was a BPS 12 gauge with a extra full choke and called him in to like 18 yards away. And I mean, I was hooked. I, I was hooked even before I killed my first turkey. But I mean, I, I've raised turkeys, you know, when I was a little kid and stuff like that. Turkeys and waterfowl is what I grew up doing. When I turned 21, I started rifle hunting for whitetail. Um, a lot of the guys at work were all hunters and a lot of them deer hunted. And I quickly grew bored with, with, uh, with rifle. First, it, it wasn't all that hard to shoot a deer with a rifle. Um, but more importantly, <clears throat> the bow hunters that I was running into um, were talking about how many deer they were seeing and how big of the deer they were seeing. Um, Cause in Kansas, I, I, one thing I will say about our parks and wildlife is you can't hunt during the rut with a rifle. So usually rifle season starts around the first of December Oh, the, the rut, the rut is usually over by then. Um, and the, a lot of those big ones start going not really nocturnal. Um, and if you want to hunt Kansas and you want to see the big ones, I mean, middle of November, you know, is where it's at. And so I started, started bow hunting and quickly became obsessed with that. The first year, um, I, got spoiled because I had a 165 inch 10 point that I rattled <laughs> in, rattled in from 200 yards away, comes right underneath my stand, turns around and starts going back. He stops, looks at me and I thought he was 30 yards and he was 20 and <laughs> I used my 30 on him and it went right over his back. So <clears throat> I was pretty sick about that. And then probably four or five days later had a, a 14 point, um, same thing, rattled him in, but he came too close again. He came right underneath my stand. I tried to draw and I was drawn 
and he was almost straight underneath me and I hit my rattling horns with my bow and yeah. I, I mean, I, those ones, those mistakes still, still haunt me, but I oh, mean, yeah. I, first year of bow hunting, I mean, it, it just couldn't have gotten any better. No. Uh, and then I ended up killing, I had a, a mule deer hunt in Wyoming that year. And, um, the day before we left, I, I killed my white tail. I mean, he, for Kansas, he wasn't, you know, big by Kansas standards. He's probably a 130 inch deer, but for, you know, for me, for, for just starting out, it was sure uh, I was, I was hooked. So how'd that mule deer hunt end up going? Uh, I killed like 165 inch mule deer out there in Wyoming. So, and we saw, I think we count, it was ridiculous how many deer we saw, but it would, we, I think we counted like 300 bucks that we saw that day. It was a ranch of like, I think they had 40, 50,000 acres, but it was just the, the deer population on that property was just insane. Wow. So, yeah, that's pretty incredible. But uh, I've hunted in Alaska quite a bit. Um, have hunted moose, caribou, um, black bear. Um, I think that's about it. I've been putting in for a lot of other tags. But I don't think we've drawn anything for five years or so now. Um, but I love Alaska. I love. I really love uh, caribou hunting. Um, I plan on going back there on a caribou hunt here in the next two years. It's something uh, I want to do for sure. Yeah. One of my craziest hunts was with Jared, and it was a caribou hunt. And it was in the Kenai Peninsula. And it... Um, the terrain's just insane. Straight that's not up, where the muskox. That's What's where that? the muskox is, isn't it? But on the Kenai Peninsula, no. Kenai Peninsula, no. Uh, muskox would be way further north. Kenai okay. is like so. If you fly into Anchorage, it's way south. Okay, it's like three hours south of of Anchorage. But uh, the mountains are straight up and down. They're not that tall. I mean, elevation I think is like forty five hundred feet. But oh. You're going from really uh, sea level to 4,500 feet. I mean, that's, you know, you're starting out around two, 300 feet elevation. And you're going up to 4,500. So you've got to climb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that was just an awesome, awesome hunt. Um, I killed a caribou with my bow um, a couple of years, a couple of years back. Um, and they're just fun. You get to see a lot. Usually if you're in the right spot, you'll get to see a lot of animals. I think the first five days of our hunts, we saw probably around, <clears throat> not the one in Kenai Peninsula, but the other, the other, the last one I went on, we probably saw 2000 animals a day. I mean, it was, God. we, we got in the middle of, um, the, uh, the migration. <laughs> it was just insane. You can look it up. It's the 40 mile herd is okay. one that I had. I love the terrain there. Um, it is so is this be beautiful country. Is, is that the same spot that you were talking about before? No. Okay. No. I was going to say. So yeah. So this would be like roughly six hours north of north, northeast of Anchorage. Okay. And then you fly out of a little town called Toke. Um, is it more rolling terrain? Yeah, I mean the the elevation can get up into the 
the 7,000, 7,500, but you're starting out a lot, a lot higher. And there are, you know, quite a bit of, quite a bit of mountains, but if you get down the valley, I mean, the trains, it's a lot easier than, you know, what you would, you know, find in the, the Kenai Peninsula. Okay. Yeah. The reason I thought that you might be a little farther north, I'm not really good with uh, geography when it comes to Alaska. I don't know it very well, but um, I watched a hunt recently where a guy went to a place that sounded like what you were describing. The mountains were just, he said you had to get in sheep shape to yeah. go hunt yeah. for these right. muskox and the caribou. And I'm watching them and I thought, my Lord, these, I mean, this is crazy yeah. <laughs> for yeah. For these animals, I'm not used to seeing that kind of caribou hunt before, but it does pique my interest a little bit. Yeah, um, for sure. And the the other thing about Alaska, I mean, not only is the terrain tough, the the weather is, you know, crazy. You, whether it's snow or rain, I mean, it seems like there's always some type of precipitation coming out of the clouds. Uh, yeah. Were it, the mosquitoes rough? Uh, no. Not too bad because um, the the temps, like even when we went in late August, I mean, it still got down to like 32 degrees. Okay. So the, the mosquitoes really weren't that bad. <clears throat> the one on the peninsula, they were non-existent because we went in late September, early October. And I mean, we got dumped, yeah. you know, 12 inches of snow. So we weren't, mosquitoes were the least of our worries. <laughs> Man, we got, we got dumped on with rain for several days, and then yeah, then it switched to snow. So I'd imagine that can beat a guy down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that one, we did not see several thousand caribou either. It was we flew in on a Friday evening, and we didn't see them until the following Thursday. So yeah, we were pretty. <laughs> you know, you go into a hunt thinking. You're pretty confident, thinking, oh, we're going to get this done. And we were gotten to the point of, are we even going to see these caribou? Um, we were pretty down. But Was there something that you did differently, or did they, were you just, it was time for them to show up? Or Yeah, we, we just kept at it. Um, I had done a lot of research over the summer. As soon as I found out I drew the tag, I started, I got on some, there's some good forums that cover Alaska hunting and most of the people on there are probably residents. And I just started asking a ton of questions and my cousin helped me out. Um, and we found out, you know, kind of where they like to go when, if, if snow, you know, were to happen and it did. And we went basically, you know, we were not too far from that spot, but, um, soon as the the storm broke you know we hiked back out there and the so we were at a cabin that had a lake uh, and it's just a fishing game cabin that's where we would go to get dried out and stuff uh, and then we had probably about a four hour climb out of there to get up to the top <laughs> and so it was nice getting back to the cabin but realizing you had to do that four hour climb to get back out there uh, Man. pretty rough but the, the biggest thing excuse me the biggest thing that we did was we just we didn't give up you know we hadn't seen a caribou in six days straight it had snow dumped snow on us it had rained a ton um 
and we just didn't give up. We kept after it. And I think that has led to a lot of our success is we may, we might not be the smartest hunters, but I probably can outlast uh, just about anybody out there. Yep. Um, and you've got to have, huge. you've got to have perseverance when it, you know, when it comes to, to hunting. Yep. An out of state hunt, especially when you're talking about public land in the middle of nothing yep. wilderness, you know, that that's one of those things I've figured out. You just got to keep going. And one thing that's tough for us, you know, Eastern flatland guys, um, there's not like people talk about being miles deep around here. Right. And I just think to myself, no, you, you actually weren't because there are trailheads and roads and trails and there's something within a mile almost everywhere on all the public land around here. You just can't mm -hmm. get away from it. Like you can out West and up North in Canada, Alaska, et cetera. So um, when I started going out West, I did just a pronghorn hunt out there and I thought we were going to drive around and shop for pronghorn. Like I hear about everybody doing, we had <laughs> rifle tags yeah. and uh, I thought, Oh, this will be easy. That was not the case. There was almost no access to that unit from yeah. the road. There was one spot that you could pull in and then another spot you had to park on the road and walk. And it's all BLM. You know, you got to cut yeah. around the corners of the private and all that, which talk about depressing walking, you know, a mile and a half, two miles and you're 800 yards, a thousand yards from your truck. And yep. you're, you know, you're an hour hiking or whatever, like, ah, oh, man. But um, we just, we just kept walking and walking and walking and finally it paid off. And my buddy wasn't fortunate enough. He missed a shot, but um, I was fortunate enough to kill one opening day and another two guys killed. But uh, that, that seems to be the, the case is persistence. Just keep going. Yep. So um, how about yourself there, Jared? Uh, so obviously my childhood was pretty similar to Josh. Grew up, uh, you know, in the same house, hunted with my dad, hunted with uh, our grandpa a lot. Um, and I didn't, uh, you know, it was probably around the time that Josh got into whitetail hunting. It was probably around the same time that I kind of got into it. Uh, did rifle for a while. And then, uh, what was it? It was 2000 eight would have been my first archery year and you know everybody's like oh kill a kill a doe first you know get it out of the way um i bought a used bow the draw length was a half inch too long <laughs> hang on which by the way is good advice yes i'm not saying that is good advice i decided yep. not to take it and that year i got my biggest buck still to this day he went 173 and five eighths and he had a g2 broken off so he wow. probably would have been over 180 if that one wouldn't have been broken off so that was my first archery deer um so i was pretty fortunate with that one that's uh, a good deer that's a hell yeah, of a deer I, actually <laughs> i'm pretty happy with him still um and so for kansas uh as far as deer go, that's all I do is archery only. I buy the archery only tag. Um, just you get to spend so much more time out there, and then it's just for me, it's just so much more fun having them come in close. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and and like Josh said, it's Kansas is set up. Um, 
you know, more for bow hunters just with the season, the way it, that it is. Uh, I used to like, you know, even for the rifle hunting and you can, you can still get them with rifle. It's just, you don't see them as much and you obviously don't see them as, as up close. Yeah. Uh, We're the same. We don't come in until the Monday after Thanksgiving and anybody you talk to that lives in a state that doesn't have big deer, you know, in good numbers anyway, every state has big deer, but, um, in my opinion, anyway, um, it's always the same. They have like two, three buck limit, whatever. Some of them are atrocious, uh, a mm-hmm. three month, one month, two month, three month rifle season in the rut. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I figured it out guys. <laughs> <laughs> Stop all that. Quit doing all that stuff. I'm, I'm pro whatever's legal and gets it done, but I'm, I'm of the same mindset, you know, especially in my home state, I prefer bow hunting. I will gun hunt um, because it's, 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 a, it's set up a little different here. Cause you can't, you can't see very far here at all. It's pretty thick. And I will take advantage of that trickling second rut period uh, that happens during gun season. Uh, but like what you're describing, they've been pressured to hell and back by then. So you're, I mean, you're talking about God throwing a deer at you if, if it happens or you have some great land that nobody's allowed to touch and, you know, you leave it alone and they're all pressured in there or something, but, uh, or you get lucky and have one bump to you, which can happen. But um, the older I get, the less I like to play the lottery and more I like to play the odds in my favor. So um, yeah, uh, I get that. So, Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. So, yeah. Um, so, pretty much archery only here in Kansas for deer. Um, obviously, <laughs> went on that hunt uh, in Alaska with Josh. I've gone after moose a couple times. Haven't uh, on each of those. Had a lot of fun, but just didn't see any legal bulls. Uh, it was a 50-inch wide minimum in that area, and I never even saw one that was that was big enough. I had one come run by me like literally run by me within probably 10, 15 feet. Um, he wasn't big enough, but he was big enough to make the ground shake. And that was a, that was a pretty awesome experience. I mean, just have wow. that big of an animal run by you. Um, and like I said, you could feel it in the ground. Um, but uh haven't uh went on that caribou hunt with josh but i didn't uh i didn't have a tag for that unit so i didn't get uh it was funny the next morning when we got back to our campsite when we were still picking up stuff uh the caribou herd was what probably 40 yards away from our campsite if i'd have had a tag i could have shot another really good bull that was in that Man. herd uh, are they are they in velvet during that time no, not that, not that late. Okay. No. no, they're they're coming out of velvet in late August. Oh, okay. So, so if you, yeah. So my late August hunt, about fifty percent of the bulls were out of velvet, but I was okay. I was wanting to kill one with my bow that had velvet, so it took a, took me like six seven days to to get it done. But I did kill either the biggest one or second biggest one that I saw. So. Nice. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the the one that got away. I don't know what he scored. So that's uh that's definitely on the list of things I want to do. Of course, my so my 
dream hunt, though, hands down, is moose with a bow. Uh, that's up close and personal, hearing them grunt and do, oh, that'd be sweet. Yep. One of my, one of my favorite uh, shows or videos is the Kuyu one uh, where Jason Hairston went with his dad and they, his dad killed a moose with the trad bow. And man, that was. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. that was a good one. I would assume you guys have seen, there was a famous one that went around Facebook and everything uh, probably a decade ago or something. And the guy, I think he was French Canadian. He didn't speak English and just, I don't know what it would have been, but it, it looked like a 55 or 60 inch bull. It was gigantic. And it was at like seven yards and he had to shoot up to, to get like, you see the arrow and it, you know, the arrow sticking out like this. Um, that was, that was a definitely a crazy hunt. It would be cool. I wouldn't be too picky. Obviously I've seen some guys take some good ones, but whatever I could take out of there, I'd be pretty pumped with you talking about how big they are. I mean, I wonder how long just a, you know, average bull would last a family. They got to be like 1500 pounds or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure the exact weight, but uh, the big ones are yeah, up in that range. I think yeah, you, you get around 450 to 500 pounds of meat. Depending on how big it is, yeah. Yeah. I did did kill a moose, I think, in 17, and it was was around 450 pounds of meat. Stay tuned for our next episode, What Josh Stubbs Has Not Killed. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's a lot of meat, man. Yeah, it it was. It, It all stayed in Alaska because the cape, just getting everything back, uh, like the cape for the moose was a hundred pounds. And so when your cape is a hundred pounds, you quickly lose, you know, you can only bring so many bags back and only so much weight back. Um, and I, I got some of the tenderloins and that was about it. My cousin, um, graciously took the, the rest of it. I think he maybe did that by design, but, uh, but yeah, I, I bringing the head back and I brought basically all of the hide back. Um, and so I, I was weighted down pretty good. I'll bet. Yeah. But they are, they are amazing creatures. They, they really are. Oh, it, they're, they're at the top of my list. I, I mean, elk is up there as well. I've, I've done that twice, uh, DIY public land and, have yet to see or hear a bull. I've seen a cow and calves. Um, it was funny because I told people, oh, I'm not going to shoot a cow or, you know, whatever. And I saw that cow and saw how big she was. <laughs> and I was reaching for my bow, but she was yeah. way too far. We were going to try to stalk her. But, um, yeah, that's that's a tough hunt talking about weather beating you down. The first time I went, uh, it rained. So it didn't rain the day that we got there. And then it didn't rain the day we left. It rained every single day other than those two. And I think, so we packed in like three and a half miles. And I think I had three or four outfits. I, I took way too much weight up, up there. And yeah. uh, that was stupid. And getting out of your tent in your last dry outfit, that's rough. And then, 
you're outside for five minutes and you're soaked and just want to cry. Were you wearing Sitka or what were you wearing? Hell no. I was wearing Walmart hunting clothes. I didn't have. So this was uh, Sitka and all that was around, but it, it wasn't as big as it is now. Um, and I guess as popular. And I was talking to my buddies the other day, even the, the tents that you looked at, it, this is 2016 and 2018. Yeah. They didn't have nearly the lightweight tents for a much lower cost like they do now i've got a sub three pound tent and it cost me 172 dollars looking at something like that you know four six years ago my god it'd be six yeah. seven eight hundred bucks mm. so uh i i had um an ilby pack a marine issued ilby pack uh that i bought at a surplus store um no bow boot nothing like that carried my bow up the mountain and down and side hill and it was crazy. Um, the the upgrades I've made, yeah, I do a lot better now. Um, so, <laughs> that, oh, I can I can relate to that because that 2015 hunt, I had some Cabela's rain gear that said that it was a hundred percent waterproof. It was not. It it was a hundred percent waterproof for about the first thirty minutes, and then I was oh, soaked. And that's you know, and that's, I think one of the things that people, you know, from the Midwest or, or some of these areas, like where you say, where the people are like, Oh, I'm in the back country. Well, okay. <laughs> but you're going home every night. Yes. You're you know, a couple it. hours away from your truck at most. And then you're going to go home and you can throw stuff in the, you know, in the laundry when you're out, you know, whether it's Alaska or out West on a mountain hunt, there's no dryer. You're, you know, getting in your tent. Once you get everything wet into your tent, there's no drying it out. Nope. Um, and I remember when we were hiking through the night uh, with the meat and stuff, there were times where Josh wanted to stop. His pack was heavier and he wanted to stop. And I'm like, I can't stop because I'm going to get too cold. Because that morning it was 13 degrees inside the tent. And then oh we were hiking God. over the, some of the mountain ranges at night. And I didn't want to stop because I'd get too cold. I'd just start shivering like I needed to keep moving just to, to maintain warmth. So it's a little bit different. I have a lot better gear. Oh, um, yeah. It's funny, too. People don't really take into account what a kitchen table does for a person. Like having a chair in a designated place to set your food. Just little stupid things that you take for granted. One of the things that really hit me in the mouth was being able to turn on a faucet and get water to cook with or whatever, having to filter your water to drink and to cook with. And then, you know, we don't, we, I, I think it's uh six or 700 feet elevation here where I'm at. So it's always funny because when we get in the, the last third of Kansas, you start your climb mm -hmm. and we were camped at 10-4 and got up, I went to 11-6 and just walked, giving up any elevation to drop down to a stream or whatever to get water is work. It's a chore and people yeah. don't take that into account. Yep. It's intense.
If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. So what would you guys consider some of your bigger accomplishments when it comes to hunting? You can go first if you want. I'm sure if I have. <laughs> Probably the first deer he killed. <laughs> <laughs> That's my little brother too. 195. Um, he killed a 195 for his first oh, deer? So this kid, I don't mean to keep like interrupting you guys. This story, no, I want to hear this. This story's this story is bullshit is what it is. So um, <laughs> I gave up my spot that I'd wanted to sit. Um, not because I knew we had a 195 there, but every time we'd come out, we'd always spook deer. We'd go in, we'd spook deer. And I thought nobody ever sits here. It makes sense to me that maybe if the deer are smart, this is before I knew anything about hunting, this is 2004, um, you know, that they'll, you know, flock to this area. So some kid uh, needed somebody to take him hunting. He had permission on like a kajillion acres. So I thought, okay, I'll go. Well, I got my little brother who was 15 into hunting that year, gave him my crossbow. Uh, first time out, he misses a buck. Then we go out again and he has a big buck coming to him, but my friend shot it. Then we go out the next day and I spook a pretty good eight coming to him because I developed whooping cough that day. I uh, had that for a while. Uh, and then he goes I, out. I hear, that, I hear that's not real good if you want a hot whitetail. It's it's rough. It can be rough. Uh, I missed a lot of the rut that year. Um, I didn't start hunting until the third week of November. Uh, this was the first of November that I spooked that deer. So um, he doesn't get a chance at it. Then, but, but he's got all these bucks trying to get killed. So we, uh, we set him up with my muzzle loader scope everything sight him in and he goes out during the youth gun season which is basically right after the peak of the rut or right during it has a 150 inch 10 come in at eight or ten yards directly underneath him and my uncle and works a scrape and he comes home and explains to me how it's my fault that he doesn't 
didn't get this deer because he couldn't see through all the branches. And I'm thinking to myself, what were you, were you aiming through honeysuckle or what was going on? Years later, he would admit to me that he was scared shitless and fogged the hell out of the scope. Um, <laughs> so I give him a lot of crap over that. So then a week later, he goes out opening day. He's in the stand for like 90 minutes and a deer comes in and he shoots it and he comes off the hill. Now, my uncle Kenny uh, was like a football coach when it came to deer hunting. You didn't shoot a deer that was too small or you got yelled at big time. Yeah. And, um, you know, he taught me a lot with that. So uh, my brother didn't know what we had, what he had. We didn't have trail cameras or anything then. Uh, we didn't. And um, he was worried and anxious that he had shot a deer that was big enough. And it's the biggest deer. It, it was uh, 16 scorable points, netted 178 and grossed 195 inches. And, and it, I, I'll probably bring it up to the expo to display again. It's a giant. I mean, obviously, it's 195 inches. Right? Yeah, right, right. But, and, and the whole time, and, and so after that, I hadn't killed anything that was over 120 at that point. I'm 20 years old. So any deer I killed, oh, I'd pass that. Oh, you shouldn't have shot that. And I, I killed one. It's like 145-inch nine-pointer. Oh, that's too little. You should have let him go. I'm like, you wait. He hasn't seen anything better than like a 120-inch eight-pointer. <laughs> and and he, uh, he hasn't really deer hunted since. It ruined him. It legitimately just destroyed it for him. So that's the story. Uh, let's get into you guys again. But yeah, that was, I said that. And then I saw your eyes and I, I immediately got kind of amped there because it, it gets me going a little bit. But um yeah, so let's talk about you guys a little bit. Uh, what uh, what would you consider some of your your highest accomplishments? As as far as hunting goes, um, one of the most awesome things has been <clears throat> had two boys, have two boys and a daughter, and helped them all. You know, get their first deer. My daughter shot a couple deer which was awesome <clears throat> uh in like her you know kind of teenage years i think it was more of you know time with with dad um i don't think she really loved to deer hunt but it was obviously something that we did as a family <clears throat> my youngest son um uh you know helped him kill turkeys and deer and ducks and all that stuff. So all those firsts, I mean, so that I would, <clears throat> I don't know if you want to call them accomplishments, but you know, there's something about passing the hunting, hunting tradition onto your children. Mm -hmm. uh, my oldest son is, he hunts, loves to hunt a lot. And last year he, he finally uh, killed what I would consider, you know, a good buck for him. And, you know, he <clears throat> adopted him from Ukraine when he was 12 years old. That's and awesome. So it's, been, it's been kind of a, a rough road for him. Um, he was in the orphanage for nine years be before I was able to adopt him. And so there was just a, a huge learning curve from him. You know, he's going from Ukraine um, to the, you know, the, to the States, huge cultural differences 
different, you know, he didn't know English before he got over here. So just to see him progress as a bow hunter has been, been pretty impressive. How, how did you adapt? How did you communicate with this kid in any way? Did you have to hire a translator or? Uh, hired a, a tutor that started helping him learn English. Okay. Um, if you ask my mom, it would say, hey, we just need to yell louder and maybe he'll <laughs> yell loud That's and so talk awesome. slow. Yell yep. loud and talk slow. Isn't that now, funny? We, we still tease her to this day. She would really enunciate her words and, you know, make it loud. Yes. Like, he still does not understand you. Um, <laughs> it, there was a lot of, lot of sign language, a lot of pointing and saying the word, you know, what you were you know, whether it was a seat or a table or a hot dog, you know, we would actually use the word, but a lot of just motions, you know, with, with hands to try to help him. Mean, he caught on, he caught on pretty quick. Sure. Um, How old did you say he was when you adopted him? 12. 12. Okay. Yep. And he's 20, wow. 23 now. That's so that's, awesome. that's why, that's why I have two 23 year olds. I don't have two twins. One. Okay. One, my son came from Ukraine. So. Okay. Uh, but as far as like individual accomplishments, obviously the, the buck that I killed that went 201 and change, um, that was uh, a long road to, to where he even was able to get to that score. Because, you know, a lot of it is to kill a 200-inch deer, you have to have a 200-inch deer on your property or somewhere that you can hunt, whether it's public land or private, you have to have that caliber of a deer there. And the majority of deer don't ever come close. And as I I look back on that deer, I let him go. See, I think it was probably, probably gonna get my dates wrong, but I think it was 2000, yeah, 16, I had him pegged at a four and a, as a four and a half year old that was 165 inch, and he was in front of me f- for probably 20 25 minutes, and, and I let him go. He was a 10 point with split G2s, so he had a total of 12 points. And I'm like, man, this deer, even though that was probably the biggest deer I think I saw that year, um, I knew that if I let him go, that there might be a chance that he could, you know, get real big. Next year, he uh, broke off, I think it was his left side, um, and did it again the following year. In fact, I had him come by. He was probably in the mid-180s that year in 2018, and he came by at like 10 yards, and I drew because I knew which buck it was right away, and he walks right underneath me, and half his sides missing and I'm like well you just lived another day so that was another aspect that him breaking his horns every year really allowed him to survive that long I really think he might have gotten shot during rifle season or someone might have killed him with a bow but the fact that he would break off so soon I think allowed him to to reach his potential which you know, he was probably a seven and a half year old. I know a lot of people think that five and a half year old is like that magical number that that's why you, when you want to kill whitetails. And I, that's just not been my experience. 
my experience has been the six and a half to eight and a half range. Um, I would agree with that. We don't see a lot of those, but yeah, and I, that's yeah. true, and that's true. But uh, and even some of the other deer that I have hunted, I've watched them. You know, you, you kind of start noticing them when they're probably a three and a half year old. Um, but I've 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 got several numerous bucks on the wall that were at minimum seven and a half years old, and they you know some of them were like ten and a half. Um, just judging by the, you know, the teeth getting them sent off to get aged and stuff. Um, so that's the other part. It's not all for, for us. It's not always about the score. It's how long can these big deer live? And okay, this is the you know this is the year that we're gonna gonna kill them. But but obviously, so the whitetail um, and then the elk, you know, in Kansas last year. I mean that's. <laughs> It's at the top of the list. Obviously, that was a, a true gift, you know, from God. I never thought that I would uh, have a chance to kill an elk um, in Kansas, let alone that being my first one. I would still put that 201-inch deer at the top of the list, but the Kansas elk is obviously, you know, a very close second. And depending on the day, it might move up to number one, but... I never thought my first elk um, would be in Kansas. <clears throat> I've done, you know, the public land going out to Colorado. Um, been out there a couple times. <clears throat> Saw elk. Um, went out again last year um, and had some close, uh, just never quite close enough. Saw some good bulls out there. Then came home, you know, had like 300 pictures of this bull elk on my camera and fortunately i did not have the the cell part you know the cell activated yet because if i'd have been in colorado and i was getting pictures of this elk at my pond i <laughs> so wait. i don't know how i would have gotten home because i didn't drive <laughs> but i might have stolen a vehicle to get back home you were on an elk hunt and yes. then you come home from being unsuccessful yeah my buddy got one <laughs> he got a nice one uh um, that's that's a successful hunt then really in my yeah. opinion that's oh a, for sure oh wow okay yeah and, and i <laughs> i was close i i had i had one probably about 80 yards away super super windy um and i was calling him to me and it was a younger bull, um, and the wind shifted just a little bit. I felt it on the back of the neck, and that was game over. I mean, that was the last evening of the hunt, um, and I didn't know it, but my buddy David had had already killed killed an elk. Uh, we went we went on a guided hunt last year, okay. and it was basically two two on one. And I'm like, you know, the chances of us calling in two bulls right. at the same time are microscopic. So I'm like, I'm going to, you know, go on my own and see if I can get one. And, and David killed one. And I mean, it was an awesome hunt. Saw, you know, bugling action and all that stuff. It just, just was didn't this happen. on public? No, no. Oh, it, it was on, it, like last private... year, the two previous years uh were on public but this one was on private so. okay all right yep. do you feel 
like there was a pretty big difference in like sightings and oh. numbers and yeah yeah i okay. mean you can't can't even compare the <clears throat> the property um just had way more elk uh the neighbors it didn't appear that they really pressure the elk all that much either so there's a there's a good size herd on there compared to the public saw numerous other hunters um and the the bugling activity was i mean there was a marked difference in between the two i mean i i saw elk on the first day of the hunt on public and then didn't didn't see really any more elk saw <clears throat> man maybe 150 inch elk <laughs> you know as far as the bulls they just weren't they weren't very big i mean they yeah super small compared to i mean we were seeing close to 300 inch bulls every oh. day we couldn't always get on them uh, but we saw them almost every day what did your bull go uh, mine went 293 and change. Yeah, so he he was just as big as anything that we saw in Colorado. Oh yeah, and it happened to be out of one of our happened to be out of one of our prototype tree stands. So wow. Yeah, I we had not. The funny story is we had not really planned on announcing Elevate just yet, and then the elk happened and it's like how do you not tell the full story and so we we announced the company a little bit sooner than than we wanted to but i mean that's wasn't my plan that obviously god had blessed me with an elk so <laughs> I, I, at that point i was not complaining so so what made you guys want to start your your stand company yeah, uh, great question. Um, really, just our love for hunting. Um, we've always been involved in production of some sort. Mine from the management side, Jared's from the, the quality side. But we also, um, early on in our careers, I mean, we've both worked our way up from the, <clears throat> from the floor level. Um, we didn't, you know move into a, an office job right away. I mean, it was, you know, a lot of hard work on the floor. Uh, the comp the Alcoa that we worked for, it was a new company, a new facility. Um, so, you know, it was <clears throat> a lot of new employees coming through and um, being born and raised on a farm, we've got a strong work ethic. And so we were working, you know, 65 75 hours a week early on in our career and, and we still do from time to time and when we need to um but just i've always loved production i've always been fascinated with how things are made and you know pushing production and doing things faster and more cost effective uh, more efficient um and so all of that along with, you know, our love for hunting, always wanting to, Jared and I have talked about it for years. Hey, there's, you know, there's gotta be something that we can do, some idea that we can come up with. And then, you know, 
it's like, oh, this would be cool. And then three months later in the fall, you see it on the, the shelf at the local sporting's good. And it's like, okay, well. <laughs> Scrap that. <laughs> it's a great, great idea, but, you know, someone else already came up with it. And obviously with tree stands, there's, um, there's still ways to innovate, uh, even though tree stands have been around for a long time and um, started getting into more lightweight stands. And there were things I liked about them, things I didn't like about them. And so it's like, why not? Why not try this? And we're going to have. So, can we get into obviously without mentioning any like company names or anything like that? Um, can you go into like some of the things that you didn't like? Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a balance between being lightweight and still being stable. Okay. Um, and that's personal preference. Sure. You know, when I'm when I'm 15, 20 feet, some people like to hunt higher. I personally like that angle of a shot you get much higher than that and you know it you can miss lungs and, and stuff like that yeah so that 15 to 20 feet if i'm up in the air yeah i've got a safety harness but i still i want the the stand to be under me you know feel pretty solid and um for me 10 pounds is not heavy I know there's debates out there on what, you know, what is a true lightweight stand, but I wanted the, the reason that we came out with the element was I wanted that thing to be rock solid, that when you stood on it, that you didn't feel flex. Yeah. Now with that comes at the expense of a little more weight. Sure. And <clears throat> The people that want the ultralight stuff, I, I think they're going to love our new stand. But our original stand, that was not the goal. I still, my personal belief is the 10-pound stand is still very mobile. Um, but the main reason it came in at the weight it was was because we engineered it in such a way that you're just not going to feel the, the flex on that that you would feel on some of the other stands that are that are lighter yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously coming from you know steel stands that weigh 15 20 pounds <laughs> you know 10 pounds is a, is a huge jump yep um but that's that's kind of what where i was at uh on you know what did i not like about um some of the other stands that are out there that and I'm not knocking those stands. They're great quality. Uh, there's just certain things that I didn't like about them. The other, the other part was cost. Um, I didn't think that it needed to cost that much. <clears throat> that I, I thought that there were processes that we could use um, that could make them faster, which makes things more cost effective. Okay. Um, and that's once again, that's just personal preference. Um, I'm not knocking anyone's stands in that. Sure. And I don't, I really, I don't like the companies that promote that as far as knocking other people's stands. It's like, Absolutely. you know, it's just like the Sitka Kuyu. Right. Some guys like Sitka. There's some guys that like Kuyu. There's some guys that like First Light, or there's some guys that just like the regular real tree. And it's, it's, you know, what, what works for you. 
there do, there doesn't need to be a, a ton of negativity where you're bashing other companies. I, I feel like you should talk about your product and sell it from that aspect versus sure. selling your product because you're bashing someone else. Absolutely. It's uh it's amazing. It's always refreshing too to meet people like that in the industry. Um, being new myself, uh, I've dealt with no shortage of bad. And yeah. you get people that all they want to do is just bash their competition and tear them down. And I, I always say, you know, if you look at, like, for example, um, look at the – are you guys familiar with the DIY Sportsman by any chance? Garrett Prawl? Uh, I, I may have seen him. I, I'm okay. not. So he's like – a genius and a lot of the reason that we have some of the things that we have in the mobile hunting world today. Mm -hmm. um, he just made them out of whatever. He's an engineer and uh, yeah. he, and uh, do you know who Shane Simpson is? He's it's a call maker. I, I, I'm horrible at names. So. You're fine. You're fine. So, uh, well, I know you know who Dan Infault is. Um, yes. Yeah. They, they hunt with Dan Infault and the hunting okay. public and they all soak up each other's, crowds they're subscribers and they work you know they're all obviously competing but instead of making it a competition they work together and then everybody wins and i don't i'll never understand why people always want to fight you know it's, yep. it's way easier if we're buddies and we work together instead of trying to be the you know king d so to speak you know that's yep. why, why yeah right. we just all why can't we just right. all be kings in our own little kingdom here so um <laughs> Yeah, uh, sure. I, uh, I definitely agree with you 100% on that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to have you guys out. Uh, I, I remember talking to Jared. Um, I didn't know if you guys would come just because of how far you live away. And yeah. when he said you guys were in, I thought, oh, this just yeah. got interesting. And he, had, he mentioned just the tiniest little tidbit about having a lightweight mobile stand and i thought oh baby and <laughs> it, it's my opinion you know without um without sounding like a brown noser i guess because i don't want to be that guy but i i think you guys and your company um what you're bringing to the industry is um healthy for the industry because in my opinion without mentioning names we all know who we're talking about here but you had one side and you had the other. And mm -hmm. those were the only two, what I would call lightweight stands um, that were what I would call high end. Um, right. You know, the, the, the water jet cut or whatever. Um, and now you guys are here. And so yep. you're able to uh, kind of reestablish some balance within the market. And I think, you know, Obviously, I am of the uh, belief that everybody's going to win, but I think the consumer is a big winner with this because there's competition now. And, you know, yep. somebody's going to have to be as good or better than you guys, not in just quality, but pricing. And I think that's a healthy balance. It's like conservation in nature, you know, it's it's yeah. good. So uh, I'm pretty excited and um I'm super excited to to get put my hands on this. Yeah, and and it and it's just like even you know we were talking about Sitka and Kuyu, um, the choices that people have in clothing and tents, yeah. even in just the last five years. I mean, it oh. has 
has the technology has increased tremendously and just the same with tree stands mobile hunting saddles platforms all of that the companies that um have just come out in the last you know two or three years i mean there's a lot of them out there and i do think it's pushing the market in the right way one it's it's just giving the customer or the consumer far more choices than they had 10 years ago. Yep. The quality quality (laughs) has increased tremendously. Um, And then really you have options at just about any price point out there uh, that you, you know, could imagine. Obviously. Go ahead. Well, and yeah, I mean, whether people realize it or not, you know, using Sitka and Kuyu um, as an example, they, in my mind, they've helped bring Cabela's quality up. They've helped bring Walmart, you know. I mean, the what you could get at Walmart, you know, 10, 15 years ago versus now. Dude. I mean, it's just totally different. I mean, things that are coming out in Walmart now were probably top of the line 15 years ago industry-wide. Mm-hmm. And that's what I... You know, we've gotten some comments on social media and I've talked about it before, but it's like people complain, oh, another tree stand company. Great. And it's like, you're really going to complain because you have another option now. Uh, I, I'm going to say, yeah. So those people just bitch to bitch and that's it. Um, I, It's amazing. You could literally bring Jesus back and somebody would complain about it. They'll down you for it and... All the while, I just sit there thinking, what are you doing at home or whatever it is, wherever you are? What has been so bad that has led you to complain or down somebody for just trying to do better? You know, it it kills me. Oh, man. I remember I took note of the comments that I saw. Um, I forget exactly. I don't know if it was when you guys launched or if it would have been when you posted uh, from ATA or what. But I remember specifically some negative things said, and I just thought, my God, you guys, <laughs> shut up. <clears throat> so, and, and now, I mean, look, look where we are. We, we got you guys at the expo, and you're going to, yeah. you know, you're releasing yeah. a phenomenal stand that, in my opinion, I, I have no experience with this stand yet, but um, if it's everything you said it is, uh, which I believe it will be, I, I think it's going to do such good things for the market and everybody, even even the people you're competing with, because competition drives success. You got the people Absolutely. that are just going to, if without competition, you basically have a dictatorship and then you don't improve. Somebody's going to try to find a way to be better than you, and then you're going to try to be better than them. That's, That's right. how it works. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, Absolutely. So your sticks and stand are going to be paired together. Basically, they will they will transport together very well, from what I'm seeing. Yep. Um, do you have a name for your sticks at all? Uh, yeah, I I think that we are going to call our sticks ascend sticks. We we have not finalized on that, but okay. Um, Can you talk uh, stand name yet? Uh, Ultra. Ultra. Okay. 
The, it, so, it's gonna be, so it's going to be called the Element Ultra. And the reason, and we've been throwing around names. I mean, you know, been throwing around a lot of names. But one of the meanings of Ultra is to go beyond ordinary. And okay. we felt like we did that with this with this tree stand. So, all right, that's I, why uh, we picked Ultra. I have to admit to you that Ascend was one of the other um, names that I had picked out for the was stand. It? Yeah, awesome. yeah. I was, I was, I was thinking, you know, okay, elevate. So we're going up, <laughs> and then I just got into the mobile hunting terms, and I was like, oh, ascend wouldn't be too bad because I didn't want to go with, you know, octane or oxygen, O2, right. anything like that. Everybody's taken that a thousand times. Yeah. Um, so sweet, dude. Yeah. And um, so ascend. Um, Jared had it on his list, and I hadn't seen. He hadn't told me what he was thinking about a name for the sticks. And then a buddy of mine, Jason, lives in Michigan. <clears throat> he he came up with that. I'm like, yeah, I really like that. And then I said, what do you think about this? And Jared was like, yeah, I've got that one on my list too. So that's that one is a pretty <clears throat> easy decision. So Heck yeah. So did you want to talk about the other item that you're working on or you want to save that one? Uh, you, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, man. <laughs> you right, just asked the question. Let's talk about this platform. Yeah. Uh, so we are working on a saddle platform. Um, we are in what I would call the internal testing. So how it, how it works within our company is we do a, a bunch of internal testing and then, um, it's going to go to a third party engineering okay. firm that does the, the testing, you know, based off the tree stand manufacturing association, the tests that those, that all the tree stands and sticks have to go through. And then, um, and when I say internal, internal can be us here within the company, or it can be with, you know, buddies that, that we trust that do a lot of mobile hunting. Um, so once we get that design finalized, then it goes to the third party. Um, and then it's typically, you know, ready for production. Um, with the saddle platform, it's still in the internal testing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we had to make some modifications to it. Uh, we should have those parts. I think they were uh, assembling them today. And so we're going to do some of our own internal testings, like weight testing and stuff like that. Okay. Um, if those pass, then uh, we'll kind of broaden the, the testing circle as far as, you know, we'll send some of these platforms out, let people try them. What do they like? What do they not like? And the design has all been based around what people have talked to us about because uh, almost every show that we went to, people are asking, you guys got a saddle platform too? And it's oh, like, yeah. it's coming. We don't have it yet. <laughs> And then, and we would always ask him, what do you, what do you like? What do you use? What do you like about that one? What do you not like about them? What size? Yeah, what size? And so obviously it's a, a culmination of a lot of those conversations that we've had with, you know, numerous people, because there's nothing like getting, going out to those shows, interacting with the public, seeing what they like, what they don't like. And then, you know, hopefully we can, can obviously you know we're not gonna be able to please everybody um 
but uh, hopefully, you know, we're gonna gonna nail this one. Heck yeah, as well. So, and right. and we will we will bring um, one of those with us, and probably we can probably leave it with you, and you'll be able to try it, test it, see what you like, what you don't like. We'll play. We'll play yep. with. It. Um, we probably, we probably, um, with the new stand and sticks coming out, um, the platform, I, I don't know when the actual release date of that will be. It, it might not be till November. We might wait till the ATA to officially launch it. I'm, I'm not sure yet. We've been having those discussions, but, but there will definitely be some floating around. Okay. All right. Anything else exciting coming down the pipeline for you guys? Yeah, the the camera arm, we continue to work on that. <laughs> um, the, and and I'll bring one bring oh, one with baby. us. Um but uh we've been been working on that, but our main focus has been the the tree stand and the and the sticks. Okay. Um so I'm not sure what the release date. We're gonna use them a lot this early fall and um you know, some real life situations versus sure. just, just, you know, hooking it up in the backyard. Um, and but, I, I think we had that prototype probably around the <clears throat> Iowa deer classic, I think is when we kind of showed a few people and we've gone through a bunch of different revisions on that. Um, okay. Just with the camera arms, you go, there is such a thing as too lightweight. And I think that's absolutely you know, there is. We went, we went that direction at first um and then you know just too much bounce and... way too much bounce yep mm -hmm. yeah and and you you can't eliminate all the bounce i mean that just unless you want just some huge monstrosity you yes. know to carry up into your tree every time uh but i think we've found a pretty you know happy medium in there um yeah. but I, like I think the said, key... we haven't uh there's some other things that we want to add to it and we just haven't had the time to spend on that just because the focus has been on the on the small stand so okay yeah i think the key for self-filmers especially is to have something that's simplistic not too heavy but simplistic and goes up and comes down easily and quickly we've all got families mm -hmm. to get home to mm -hmm. and all that so i remember starting off with the fourth arrow arm it i mean it took a while to get that stuff up not as bad getting it down but then you know a lot of it was really big and i got smaller with their talon and a uh, little triple arm mini or whatever it was called and then uh um this i don't know if you guys watched my video at all but i i did i came out with an idea um using a gimbal to film with your phone and uh worked with uh, matt from out on a limb to create mm -hmm. a little mini base for it and um it's pretty cool i'll probably do a lot of filming with that this year and uh it's it's nice because it's light simplistic and the gimbal takes a lot of that bounce away um, yep. i i am 100 percent in agreement you can be too light um and especially if you're running something more than a cell phone i think a phone cuts a lot of that bounce out you start sticking dslrs and lenses yep. and stuff and g50s on there you're gonna bounce all over the place so yeah yeah and is, by the I, way and by the way we we really like matt from out oh, he, oh matt's he's awesome a, he's I, a solid dude yeah i i don't know how anybody anybody that doesn't like that guy is 
great. Well, I, I don't. I I could give you a couple people I, that probably yeah, don't I know. like them. I know. I know you do. <laughs> I know. Honestly, I, I, he, honestly, he's probably one of the big reasons of why we're coming to your expo is that he really. Uh, oh yeah, because he told me. I think at multiple shows he told me about your show and that we really ought to be a part of it. God, so. that means the world. So he tried to be a part of our first show last year, um, and something something happened. I think I think the flight got canceled or something like that, and he wasn't able to make it. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, I was pretty let down because that's I mean that's a big company and yeah, he's going right. to have some pool. You know, people want to come see him, meet him, and get his product Absolutely. in their hands but yeah him and uh mike isbell from backwoods which they roll together a lot have promoted the heck out of our our show and it just all the support from all you guys means the world and and it's to see what's going to go down next year is going to be pretty cool if we can get the numbers which after today i'm pretty confident we're going to do that but um, we're going to install some some shows across the country and uh, just look to really, you know, get closer to people who can't make a 10, 12, 14 hour drive, which with yeah. these, these amazing gas prices, I don't yeah. know how the hell anybody's going to be able to show up. But yeah, thank um, you. Biden. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about all our other content. If you're on Facebook, head on over to the Fueled by the Outdoors Facebook page. We currently have over 18,000 members of people who love the outdoors, from the mobile hunter all the way to the hiking enthusiast. Come interact and talk all things outdoors with a robust community of people. Fan of product reviews, fishing, hunting videos? Go check out the Fueled by the Outdoors YouTube channel. If there's any topic or content you would like for us to cover, just send us a message. And if you like what you're seeing and hearing, then hit that join or subscribe button. We hope all our content fuels your passion for the outdoors. So, um, one last, uh, actually two last mini subjects, and then I'm going to get you guys out of here. I appreciate your patience. One, we're talking about self-filming. I know that you guys, I've seen you filming some some hunts before do you have a youtube channel or something yeah i mean it's pretty much just the one it's the elevate stand co okay you can you can go to our website or you can you know look it up on um on youtube um okay. th there will be eventually there'll be a lot more videos out there's a lot of videos uh that we took you know turkey hunting this year you know, we've yep. kind of put them in reels and stuff like that um but this year, uh, there'll be be a lot more videos coming out. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys edit your own stuff, or are you going to send it out? I I do both. I I can I can mess around on Adobe Pro. Um, we do we work with Grizz Media. Um, and then there was another individual that we worked with last <laughs> year. He was the one that edited the elk. Okay. When it's some when it's something like that. Sure. I, I just don't have the the time. I wish I did. Um, but that, I mean, you know, it takes a ton of time to, to edit it exactly yep. the way you want. But Absolutely. Yep. All right. Um, now, lastly, 
I want to talk about the greatest thing in the world since Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that would be turkey hunting. <laughs> um, I followed you guys very, very close this spring, all spring long. Um, watched you guys. Jeez, you put down bird after bird after bird after bird. And I yep. believe you accomplished something pretty cool, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, I got my single season slam. Um, funny story. <clears throat> was at a show in Texas, unrelated to hunting. It was in the oil and gas and met a couple of individuals um from illinois reed and andrew and they were both big turkey hunters big deer hunters and uh got to talking to him because i had one of my tree stands there and we had it um really as a conversation starter <clears throat> and people would see it and they you know they were hunters and they'd come and talk and andrew and reed were from illinois uh reed's dad uh, owns a drilling company and so got to talking to them spent quite a bit of time with them um, that week and then at ATA uh, they were there and we got to do a lot of talking and they were talking about going to Florida to kill an Osceola and of course my ears perked up right away <laughs> and I'm like hey if that guy has any more slots open like sign me up i'll do it and so in march and at that point in time i was not really thinking hey let's try to do the single season slam i was really just focused on obviously we were doing a, doing a lot of shows at that point um super busy <laughs> with elevate trying to you know work on the new stand and all that stuff um so March, I think March 15th is when I flew out to Florida, hunted for three straight days and had not seen a gobbler. Um, last day. Mm. Yeah, last day of really the last hour or so of my hunt. Um, I called a, a gobbler out of the uh, orange grove and I could see him strutting and quickly realized that he was not, I mean, it was hot. It was probably like, I don't know, 92, 93 <clears throat> and realized he was not going to come to me. I mean, he was hung up. And so, um, I pulled a sneak on him and got that Turkey, got the Osceola came home. And of course we were not that far away from Rio's opening up here in Kansas. And, um, my wife, Brittany, Jared, Reed, Jared's boy, uh, you know, we all hunt turkeys. And so it was whenever I think what turkeys, well, I guess turkey for him opened up, what, April April 1st? Yeah, but he was Youth. in a bass fishing tournament that weekend and we were in somewhere. But Reed was able to start hunting turkeys and so we got some good footage. He missed a couple uh <laughs> you got that that big buck syndrome and missed a couple gobblers um and then uh we just started you know really laying them down Brittany got one jared got one 
<clears throat> Reed got one, I got one. Um, and it, the turkey population has been down in Kansas. And <clears throat> so we've been, very, we were pretty strategic on where we were taking these gobblers out of. That's awesome. Um, and we did not go after our, we could have gotten a, a second tag. We chose, chose not to, um, just cause you know, obviously two turkeys is fun. Um, one was, you know, enough for us this year. And then I went to Illinois and killed my Eastern with, with Reed and with Andrew and they had, they came back to Kansas and, you know, we laid down two of them with them. And then uh, Jared Reed and I headed to Nebraska. Uh, I think it was like the middle of May. And uh, I think Jared and I killed the only two gobblers that we could, that existed on like, I don't know, it was like 8,000 acres. Uh, and so we felt very fortunate, you know, to get those birds. But that was my, so that completed my, my slam. Um, super white tail feathers way up north in Nebraska. We wanted to hunt the public land up there, but the day that we were headed to Nebraska, they had a big wildfire broke out and they shut the entire, <clears throat> I can't remember how many acres it was, but it was a lot of public land that they, they shut down. And oh, Kansas is yeah. Kansas or Nebraska is a little bit like Kansas in that it doesn't have a ton of public land. It does have some, um, but it does. Most of them aren't the huge swaths of land. Except and stuff. Except, you know, up there in Northwest Nebraska. Um, and then we got Reed a Turkey and we found, we found like the mother load of, of turkeys at this one spot and this was and, this was on private yeah so we okay. so i well we drove around and we were just looking for turkeys we found four gobblers right by the side of the road it was on a oh. creek <clears throat> so i went and asked permission and she was at the nearest house and she was like well that's my father-in-law's property you'll have to ask him and uh and so i figured out due to Onyx, you know, you can find out where someone lives and not that that's creepy or anything, but we, we drove to ask permission and they weren't home. So I drove back to that lady's house and I was like, Hey, I really hate to bother you. I'm really sorry, but could I get a cell number for your father-in-law? So eventually got it, got permission, got permission from another guy. And so we had, we roosted those turkeys that night and I'm not kidding. There was probably 10 different gobblers. It was probably like a half section that we had permission for, but there was probably 10 different gobblers on that property. So were you able to secure permission just by knocking on door? Or did you end up having yes. to pay? <clears throat> no. Oh, that's no. sweet. Yep. Both. Yeah. Both. Uh, well, the one that Reed ended up getting, we, we spotted when we were driving back and got permission. Uh, and then Josh's second one there, yeah. yeah. Something about out by you guys, that, that stuff is still possible. Here, it's unless you know, you know, if you showed up here knocking on doors, you're not a part of the farm family that's local. Yeah. 
my uncle guides uh, Upland game, pheasant and quail in Ulysses, Kansas, down in the oh, southwest yeah. corner yeah. there. Yeah. And uh, I remember going out there with him during the drought of 99 and he'd just knock on somebody's door. Oh, yeah. And then you've just got miles of fields to walk across. Right. And right. that's that's not at all what it's like here. It's crazy. Yeah. I've heard well, that. It's, it's, it's not that way around here anymore. I mean, you still can. It's just it's a yeah. lot harder to find stuff that's tough. not leased up. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I think they just say, "Oh, I've got a cousin that's coming in this weekend." <laughs> okay, can we hunt the next weekend? Well, he might be coming back that weekend. It's like, what about the end of the season? Yeah, he might be here too then too. So, so we deal with some of that as well. Oh that's, yeah, but it's and in Turkey, I think it was it's a little bit easier on turkeys. Mm-hmm. Not as many people are hunting turkeys. Sure. Um. And, and so it's a little bit easier to get permission for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're the best. But, I... Yeah. But so the next morning, we um, we thought about splitting up. I wanted to. Jared wasn't real big on splitting up. So we ended up staying together because there was one Tom in there that was just, I mean, he was a monster. He was you know, a monster he, for you guys. He, he, oh, he was well over 10 inches. He probably had okay. 11, 11, 11 and a half inch beard. That's pretty damn good for, uh, this is a, this would be a Mer- Miriam's? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. Oh, that's, yeah. He, that's he was good. Big. He was, I mean, he was way bigger than the other, because uh, he was out in like a Milo field with some of the other Toms, and I was, I glassed him for probably an hour and a half, and he was by far, you know, way bigger than the other ones. <clears throat> but we ended up setting up on a different group because he was he he was by himself and he probably would have been pretty tough to kill, but we we set up in a different spot and had a group come in, but um they they came in on my side. Um and I I love calling them in close, but I I shoot a browning uh and I shoot three and a half inch TSS number nines for a reason in case they they hang up out at that 50, 60. <laughs> That's mark. that out of state load. It is. Well, you know, you take all that time. Absolutely. And, and he came in, he came in to 45 yards and he started, I think 45, 50, somewhere in that range. And then he started walking away. And I didn't know if Jared was going to shoot. I was pretty sure he wasn't because he was on my side. But I think by the time, and I was also self-filming. So by the time I got the camera on him, focused on him, he was out there at 57. And that, I tell you what, those federal number nines just smoke them. Have you ever used a custom load before? I have not. So how far will you shoot a bird you're using number nines out of a three and a half inch 12 gauge, right? Yep. How, how far without being afraid of judgment would you shoot a bird and feel like I'm probably going to knock him stupid? I would shoot 70 yards all day long. Okay. So <laughs> I forget the exact number. I think it was 74 yards. I'm going to have to go back and look. I stone slabbed my biggest gobbler. It was a, uh, 
It was a double bearded gobbler. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was 74 yards. I just knocked him flat with a 20 gauge with nines. And like I shot and the bird disappeared. So I'm running <laughs> up the hill reloading. I've got a right. single shot. So I'm reloading, ready to follow up. And I'm looking around. I look over. I'm like, oh, my God. And he's just, you know how the TSS yep. look is. They oh, yeah. A lot of them don't even flop at all. They just yep. done. So, yep. man, the, but I would say the custom loads are a little more expensive, which it's already expensive. Yeah, right. I was going to say the right. TSS are bad enough. <laughs> yeah. I think it was 75 bucks for a box. Yeah, 75, 80 bucks. Um. But I felt like, you know, when he came into 45 yards, I'm like, we've tricked him. We've, we've won the battle. And then it was a matter of he, he, he knew something was, was up. Uh, we tend not to use decoys. Um, they're just, I don't know, they get in the way a lot. It's not that I'm against <laughs> them and we will use them, but the majority of, like, I'm trying to think if we even used... I don't think we used the decoy. We didn't kill a turkey over a decoy um, once this year. I don't know. If no, I read. No, that one. No, no, uh, no decoy on that one. Yeah. Obviously, we, we put we put some out, but uh, on the ones that we killed, um, those were more just calling them in. Yeah, we don't we don't mess with them at all on public. It's a waste of time. But I also yeah. I'm very fortunate. My buddy that i hunt with a decent bit is um he's a wizard with a mouth call he's ridiculous and uh he called in my bird in kentucky my second one um, i killed a double beard one on private and that was a fluke that was god nothing else um i was meeting a buddy and hiding from him just to be funny and i was calling so he would kind of know where i was being you know, obnoxious with my turkey call. Yep. And I seen a head pop over the hill and I thought it was a gun barrel. So I'm sitting there and I was kind of tucked into a cedar tree. And all of a sudden I was like, that's a turkey. So, oh my God, that's that gobbler we've been trying to kill. And <laughs> threw a shot at him. That was the only shot I'd had and uh, threw it up there and knocked him stupid. But um, Pierce called in the bird the second bird on Kentucky public land. And that's the best call in I've ever seen. I think we were at like just under or over an hour calling to that bird. We struck him oh, and wow. set up on him. And at first it was, mm, I can't remember because I don't know if it was, I think it was the last week of the season and you know, the gobbling was way down and um, he had hens with him and he called the bird in and the bird was leading the hens in. Oh, really? Hmm. I mean, just as run and gun as it gets, even though I'll be yeah. honest, I'm not a, again, if I want to use a shotgun with TSS and decoys, cool. If you can kill them at a hundred yards, cool. I don't care if you're having fun and smiling. All I want to do is hear gobbles and shoot yeah. a turkey in the face. So, um, and, and I'm completely, 100% sympathetic with the out-of-state setup, especially. Uh, you'll see me. I mean, I'm going to get unfriended by everybody, but I'm going to take a crossbow <laughs> with me to Nebraska. We're hunting the sand hills, and there's <laughs> zero cover. Yeah. Let, me get, let me get my first mule deer 
And, and again, I'm taking my bow too, but if I'm struggling, but I'm on a mule deer, yeah, I'm going to go shoot one with a crossbow and come home with meat. So my wife doesn't mm -hmm. keep wondering why the hell I keep going places, right? not coming right. home with a deer. But, um, we went out there the first time and, uh, I got on some pretty big bucks in velvet, but they were on private and I couldn't do anything about it. And they were just far enough to where I was stupid enough to hang there and wait and then never saw any other mule deer. And now, yep. um, you know, we're going to, we're going to try to come home with one. So, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, there will be no shortage of lovely comments in the comment section of that video if I'm fortunate enough to kill one, but uh, it's one of those things doesn't bother me. You yep. <laughs> but um well, boys, I, I tell you what, man, I've kept you way longer than than what you had promised me. So we're gonna get you guys out of here. Uh any um any final thoughts from either of you two at all? Yeah, no, I mean we're obviously really <laughs> looking forward to the to the expo. Um I think I I have a trip uh down to the Caribbean, so I'll actually be flying from there straight straight it's up to the companies um so yeah looking forward to it heck yeah how about you jared uh pretty much the same thing i but this is uh i mean i like i like going to the shows i really have enjoyed it uh meeting all the people i mean what's not fun about going to a show and talking hunting um, right. the only bad thing is talking hunting during the off season. So then you're all you think about is hunting and, um, but no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to people being able to, uh, you know, get their hands on it, to be able to stand on it. Um, I, I know one of the big comments online has been the, uh, the platform and the holes in the platform. I've got, uh, I'm trying to get a video up of it, but I had my little nephew stand on the stand because um, there was some concern about people, you know, their heel catching in one of the holes. And and, and I can see where people kind of get that feeling just by looking at it because it's hard to, t hard to gauge how big those are. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to is people getting to stand on it and, and see for themselves how it is. Heck yeah. It's, uh, I mean, <clears throat> we're pretty proud of it. I mean, we like it a lot. Uh, and, and I think that other people are going to really like it as well. So, Heck yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'll close out with uh, y'all get out there and go shoot your bows. Um, this is the time of year that you should be out. I mean, most people don't get their bows out a lot, I feel yeah. like, uh, until, you know, two weeks beforehand. So uh, for anybody listening, you're going to wait and get your bow out in August and find out that you need new strings or a new rest or whatever. Yeah. And these archery shops are going to be backed up big time and you're going to have to wait and that's going to reduce your practice time. And as we all know, perfect practice, perfect practice makes perfect. Um, that's the only way to go about that. So get out and shoot your bow. Uh, but we appreciate everybody listening in. Thank you to both of you for joining us and, um, really looking forward to shaking hands with you guys and and playing with some toys here in a few yeah. weeks. So we're what, like three weeks away, three and yeah. a half, three yeah. three weeks, man. We're we're getting down to the 
the nitty gritty. So um, without further ado, though, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors, and I've been your host, Chris Leppert, and we've been joined today by Josh Stubbs and Jared Stubbs. Stubbs, excuse me. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day. Thanks. Set these hills on fire. Set these hills.